sections of these letters, they needed to be memorized. And so that's where responsive readings became so um, well used or much used in churches. And so, the Lord is my shepherd, the reader would say, and the congregation would reply, the Lord is my shepherd, and so on. If there was an important section of a letter written by James that we decided as a congregation, we need to remember this, we would do the same. Responsibly, we would go back and forth until you as a congregation had memorized those important pieces of information. Now, some of the things that where that would feel familiar to you is the fact that when we gathered, the first thing we would have done is we would have greeted each other. That would have been followed by a time of worship and singing using God's hymnal, the Psalms. Within the first 10 years or so, the church began to write its own new music what were called spiritual songs. Some of them have even been found themselves in Scripture. If you look at the second half of Philippians chapter 2, that was probably a hymn that was a part of the church liturgy. You would also, um, then after you had that time, um, you went to the Scripture readings. And the Scripture readings, there were several Scriptures, section by section through the Old Testament. Because again, it's the only time you're hearing the Word of God. So there were several scripture readings that would be done out of the Old Testament. And then, it didn't take very long, and there were these documents that were known as the teachings of the apostles began to circulate. At the beginning of the church age in Acts um, chapter 2, we're told that they sat under the apostles' teaching. That was an oral history of the life, ministry, miracles, and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so after a while, the apostles began to take this oral history and they began to relay it on to the next group of leaders like James. And in this culture, it was extremely important that this was accurate. And so these were stories that were memorized to the word. They were memorized exactly. And then the next generation of teachers were taught. Then the next generations of teachers were taught. Some of these men began to circulate around churches. So you might show up at church one Sunday morning, and here's this gentleman. And they're going to say, hey, we have a treat this week. This gentleman is here. He knows the story of Jesus. And he might sit there and tell you several stories out of the life of Christ. didn't take very long that they began to write these oral histories down. And they began to be distributed amongst the churches. They were accurate. They were valuable. But only four of them were inspired. And so the four of those oral histories that ended up being written down are what we know as the four Gospels. And so there would have been something read out of the life of Christ. Then you had the message. Recognized teacher within the church would stand up and begin to teach out of that passage of Scripture. Then there was a season of prayer. In the early church, they spent a lot of time praying. And it wouldn't have been one person praying. It would have been the whole congregation praying together. And you went through different themes, and you'd pray for one another. Then you would pray for the ministry of the church. Then you would pray for the community. Then you would pray for leaders from your local authority all the way up to the emperor. And then there was a benediction. Benediction that we're going to use this morning, as a matter of fact, was common, Numbers chapter 6. And there were a few others out of the Old Testament. 
And then anybody that was there who was not a baptized believer in Jesus was graciously dismissed. And then all the rest, the rest of you who were left would have observed communion together. They call it the Eucharist. It was more than just distributing elements. It was actually another shorter worship service in and of itself. And that was your Sunday morning. And then you would go home. Now, one of the things that would not feel real familiar or would be a very different experience for you would have been the message, this part that we're doing right now. Because in the Jewish culture, as well as the early church, but especially the Jewish culture, a teaching time was interactive. It wasn't a monologue sermon. It was an interactive time. And so that at any point in time, somebody could speak up and say, I have a question. Or somebody could speak up and say, you know what, I, I, I experienced that. I've got a story about that. And share a testimony. You could even speak up and go, i got a different perspective of what that passage means. And so that you could even have a debate that would start to take place between people during the message time. In fact, some of these interactions became a bit heated, like a congregational meeting gone bad. (laughs) Well, this morning you would have come to church and you would have been excited to learn that there was this letter from Pastor James in Jerusalem that has arrived and it's going to be read this morning. You know who James is because there's a good possibility that you sat under James's ministry at some point in Jerusalem yourself. And if you hadn't sat underneath the ministry of James yourself, there were people in the church that did. And they talked about James and they talked about his teachings all the time. He's one of the best known figures of the early church. The letter would have been read in its entirety, start to finish. But again, people would be able to interject questions or thoughts, or even reactions to what they hear James saying. And as we see, over the last two weeks, James comes out of the gate hard. He immediately gets into, how do you go through the trials of life with joy? How do you go through temptations and resist them and pursue holiness? And now, as we get to the verses that were read this morning... James is laying a foundational principle that's essential to living the Christian life. It's essential if we're going to endure trials and grow. It's essential if we're going to resist temptation and pursue holiness. It's essential if we're going to do any of the number of things that James is going to talk about in the rest of his letter. We need to allow the Word of God to live and grow in us. That's the foundational principle. If you and I are going to live out this Christian life in a way in which it's a simple, steady faith of pursuing a relationship with Christ, you and I need to allow the Word of God to live in us and grow in us. And James is going to make three points about how we can experience this this morning. And the first one is this. We need to receive God's word with humility so that it will take root and grow. We need to receive God's word with humility if it's going to take root in our hearts and then grow. 
In verse 19, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, many of us have seen verses 19 and 20 here, and we have used it to say this is how we are to communicate and interact with each other, right? We are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. And that is an application that we can take out of these verses. But it's important to note that is not the main point that James is getting at. There's an application there, but that's not the point. What James is talking about here is how do you and I receive the Word of God? How do we receive the Word of God? And he says, you need to patiently listen for understanding. We need to resist the impulse to have this quick reaction that comes out of our own thoughts and understanding. We need to be willing to let God address issues in our lives that we don't want to acknowledge, much less deal with. And so we need to receive it with humility and allow it to take root and then allow it to grow. That's what he means by you got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Got to remember that the church is receiving this letter, and no one here would have had a copy of the Old Testament scriptures. And so you don't have personal devotions at home using the Word of God, reading it. You've got memorized scripture, don't get me wrong, but it's not like you sit there and read portions of the Word of God at home. So you, that happens when you come to church. And so James is actually addressing how the church should respond during this message time, as well as in your devotional time and other times. But he's thinking primarily in the context of this time during the message. Now, it's really interesting because the um, believers, these Jewish believers, have been raised, of course, Jewish, Captain Obvious. But that meant that they had grown up going to the synagogue. And the synagogue had a certain progression of their worship services on the Sabbath. And what the church did as as they came to know Jesus is they took that same format And that's how they structured their worship services. And so we can gain insight of what this message time looked like if we go back and look at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 13, because it takes place in a synagogue during the ministry of Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 13, in a fairly well-known story, It says that when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. 
This whole thing took place during the message time in the synagogue. Jesus is in the synagogue in the, in the town of Nazareth, his hometown. He grew up here, and he is known as a rabbi, and so he is invited to teach on this particular Sabbath day. And he gets up, and he begins to teach. He probably begins to, could be portions of the Sermon on the Mount. We, we don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's like in mid-sentence, they start yelling out, and it's like, who is this guy? And who does he think he is? We know who he is. We know who his daddy is. We know who his mom is. His siblings are there worshiping there with him that morning. Who does he think he is to be making these claims? And it says they took offense at him. They reject him. And so Jesus is teaching mid-sentence. They start reacting. And then they get angry. And then they reject him. This is the scene that James is thinking about when he's writing these verses. He's thinking of the church, maybe even the morning that his letter is getting written. And he knows there's going to be people that are going to be, going to be that are going to flinch over some of what he's going to say. There's some people who are not going to appreciate some of the things he's going to say. There's going to be some people there that might even say, I disagree with what James is saying. And he's saying, hey... Just listen all the way through and don't react. Just listen all the way through and don't react. And so let's see uh, in a little more detail of what he's telling us to do. And again, I'm not just talking about during a sermon. I'm talking anytime we're taking in the Word of God in our lives. And he says, be quick to listen. That means patiently listen to God's Word and seek understanding. The idea, listen there, is not just to hear something, but it's to perceive and understand. And he's saying, be quick to do this. It means have a sincere desire to not only hear, but to understand God's word. And then listen carefully and patiently with the goal of that full understanding. And if we're going to do that, he says, you've got to be slow to speak. Resist the impulse to have a quick reaction out of your own thoughts and your own understanding and, quite honestly, out of your own sin nature in which there's just this flinch that comes up, this reaction that comes up. And he says, no, 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 don't do that. Just listen for understanding. Don't react. And then he says, be slow to anger. There, we need to be willing to let God, God's Word address issues in our lives that we don't want to acknowledge or deal with. There are times that God comes up and we look into the Word of God and it's addressing something in my life and it's revealing something I really don't want to admit is there and much less to change it. <laughs> and so as we saw last week, our sin nature can take control at that moment in time and we go into the blame-excuse thing. Well, it's because of this, or um, it's really not that bad, or it's just the way God created, and we went through all that last week of what our sin nature can deceive us with. And James is saying, no, don't do that. Don't be Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, but be slow to react, be slow to anger, be slow to push back, be slow to reject. 
because that reaction will not produce the righteousness that God desires, he says. And then in verse 21, he says, now here's what you do. He says, therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. Receive the word of God with humility, allow it to take root, and then to grow. You got to be quick to listen. Don't react and don't reject what God is saying, but receive it with humility. He's actually painting a picture here of a garden. The idea of humbly accept, obviously, is the opposite of having that defensive reaction. It's not disputing it or pushing back on it, but humbly submitting yourself to it. But then it says, this word of God is implanted, and that word literally means to plant a seed in the ground. To plant a seed in the ground. James, I think, may very well be thinking about the parable of the sower and the seed when he's writing this. When you receive the word of God, don't have a hard ground that rejects it. When you receive the word of God, don't have the shallowness about you in which the word of God is unable to take root. As you're receiving the word of God, do not allow the weeds of distractions and sin and all of the different things that can get us busy so that its spiritual fruit is stifled in your life. But receive it with the fertile ground of humility and desire so that it will take root and it will grow fruit in our lives. He continues this idea of the gardening at the beginning, actually, of this. And he says... Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Literally, it's the idea of reach down with those weeds. Reach down with those weeds and yank them out. Yank them out. So that the fruit that God has planted in your life is free to grow. You know, unlike our first century ancestors, like I said before, we can take in the Bible in any number of ways. Most of us have multiple hard copies of, of, of Bibles at our house. We've got, literally, if you have a smartphone with the right app, you can have 100 translations of Scripture available to you. You can listen to a good sermon on the radio. You can listen to a podcast. We have let you know about Right Now Media, and you might want to grab that information before it comes down off the board 10,000 Bible studies available to you for free of charge on Right Now Media. We can bring in the Word of God. But the same principles that he's teaching here is true for us as well. Patiently listen to the Word of God and bring it in with to gain full understanding as we receive it with humility and allow it to take root and allow it to grow. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. That's the word of God. So by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. 
If you've ever been around a hungry infant being held by the mom, there's no, there's no questioning the desire. That's, that's the desire we should have for God's word and to bring it into our lives and to be nurtured by it. There's application in these verses to how we can communicate with each other effectively. And we're going to look at that in a few weeks when we get to James chapter 3. As part of that message, we'll double back here and look at how we can apply this to our interactions with each other. But for this morning, we're going on to James' second point, And that is, then we let God's word transform us. Once you've received it with humility, once it's planted, once it's rooted, and once it's growing, now let it change you. Let it transform you. The scene is going to change from a garden to the dressing room as we get to verse 22. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. God's word is no longer a seed that's planted in your life. Now it's a mirror. And it's a mirror that both reveals and reflects. It's a mirror that's going to reveal the truth of God and who he is and of this life that he's designed and called us to live. But then it reflects who we are in the moment so that we can compare the two. And as we see with the picture that God has painted in his word, and as we allow the Lord to show us where we are in our own lives, we see the gaps. We see the gaps. And in a good coaching or a good counseling um, term, you bridge the gaps. (laughs) You bridge the gaps. And that's what God's going to try to do. He lays out two responses that you and I can have to the word of God. He says that we can either be merely a listener or we can be a doer. You may have seen the terms a hearer or a doer. The word listen here was used to describe the member of an audience at a lecture, concert, or play. In other words, you're an observer taking in. You're not a participant. This is somebody who's a believer who hears the Word of God. You might even study the Word of God. You might even know the Word of God, but you're not putting it into practice in your life. And then he says, the doer, or do what it says. These are people that were dedicated to their craft. They're dedicated to their craft. This is the difference between a weekend do-it-yourself guy working on their own house like me and a master carpenter, cabinet maker, builder who can make luxury homes. I can kind of do stuff, but they're dedicated to the craft that brings out an excellence that's way beyond anything that I'm ever going to do. And so a doer is somebody who's dedicated to their craft. This is a believer who is dedicated to the Word of God. Not only in knowing it and seeking to understand it, but obeying it faithfully and consistently in our life. So the first option, we can listen to the word, but then fail to do what it says. 
We can listen to it, but fail to do what it says. Verses 23 and 24, well-known verses to most of us. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, mirrors in the first century were made out of polished metal. Glass mirrors aren't going to happen until around 1,300 years later. (laughs) And so when you had polished metal, the image in the polished metal mirror is fairly distorted. But what you have to do is you take the mirror and you start looking for just the right angle of light. Because if you can get just the right angle of light, it actually will give you a relatively accurate image of yourself. And so it took time. You didn't just walk. It wasn't a glance. You had, to, you had to work to get that just that right angle in order to be able to see it. And so this idea in verse 23 and 24 of look and looking at himself actually means to fully examine and consider what you see. It means to fully examine and to consider what you see. This is a person who's taking time to read the Bible. They're studying and understanding the Bible. They listen to the sermons. They attend the Bible studies. They have their morning devotions. The reason I think that this is said this way is James wants us to know this. This is not an issue of not understanding enough. You understand what you're reading. The issue is you forget what you look like. You walk away and you live your life like you never opened the Bible. You just continue to live your life on your own inclinations and desires and understanding rather than on God's and what you've seen in the Word. And and James says, and when you do this, you deceive yourself. The word deception there means to draw a false conclusion based on incorrect information or thinking. (laughs) Faulty data, faulty conclusions. And this is a self-deception. You think that you're okay because you know the Bible and you go to church and you do the Bible studies, but you're not practicing it. And James says that's a form of self-deception. Jesus would agree with them in John 14. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love him and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So that's option one. Option number two is we can listen to the Word of God and then obey and live by it. We can listen to the Word of God and then obey and live by it. Verse 25, he says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Look intently is a stronger word than translated look in verses 23 and 24. It means to actually bend over and get as close to something as you possibly can in order to examine it. We have the expression, I'm going to take this and put it under a microscope. Most of the time, we're not going to put it under a literal microscope. What does it mean? It means we're going to examine that thing right down to the detail. We're going to make sure we fully understand what we're looking at here, in this case, in God's Word. And so this reflects not only the study habits we have, but more importantly, it reflects the heart that we have towards God's Word, the passion, the desire, and the commitment. 
that we have made to the Word of God that we're going to put it under a microscope so that we can fully, totally, completely understand what God is saying to us. We understand that this is the perfect law that gives freedom, James says. It's perfect because it's inerrant. It's perfect because it's the absolute truth. It is perfect because it reveals to us God. It is perfect because God has explained, this is how I've designed you, how I've designed life, and the grace that I've given through my son Jesus Christ for you experiencing, for you to experience everything I have for you. And I've laid it out for you in my word. And obeying God's word brings freedom because it frees us from the control of sin and the sinful desires in my life, but it also frees me to fully seek, know, love, and follow Jesus. It's a freedom from, and it's a freedom to. And it's perfect. Psalm 19 is a fantastic psalm. And in part, in verses 7 and 8, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Brothers and sisters, do you want to refresh your soul? Do you want the wisdom that you need to live this life well? Do you want to have joy in your heart? And do you want light to see in a world that's increasingly dark? Then have a passionate desire to know, understand, and live by the Word of God. And James says, they will be blessed in what they do. They'll be blessed in what they do. God will transform your life to look so much like Jesus that he's able to bless everything you do. James says, receive God's word with humility so it takes root and grows, and then let it transform you by being a listener and a doer. And he concludes the section of Scripture with just three examples of the spiritual fruit that will begin to come out of our lives as a result of this. He said, those who consider themselves religious and don't get caught up with, we think religion is a bad word because we say religious people don't go to heaven and so forth here. Religious simply means faith put into practice. That's how James means it. Faith that's put into practice. And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. One piece of fruit that will come out of our lives from the Word of God is a spiritual maturity that gives us a biblical filter of our words. Gives us a biblical filter of our words. They'll be gracious, and when they have to be hard truth, they'll be spoken in love. They'll be edifying, encouraging, and never discouraging. They'll have a biblical filter because that's a sign of maturity in the Christian life. It's how how much control do I have in what I say. Secondly, I'll have a compassion for others. 
including the most needy and vulnerable around me. In the first century, those were orphans and widows. When I see people in need, I won't ask, did they do this to themselves? I will just simply say, I have compassion on them. And where I can, I will help them out. And then personal holiness as I display the character and mind of Jesus instead of the world. And James is going to expand on these in the weeks ahead. You know, James wrote this section of his letter with a pastoral tone of encouragement. If you look back on verse 19, he starts by saying, My dear brothers and sisters. And we looked at that last week. It's a phrase that brought about this idea of affection and connection and caring and encouragement and desiring the best. He's leaning in again. And he's saying, hey, I deeply desire for you to know what it is to have this relationship with God. I deeply desire for you to let God weed out your spiritual garden of all the self-stuff and put in it the seed of his truth and to grow fruit in your life in which God can bless everything you do. That's what I want for you. And he leans in and he says, I saw this in the life of my brother Jesus. His life was not easy, but God blessed everything he did. And James would say, ever since I gave my life to Christ, to my brother Jesus as my Savior, I've experienced it in my life. Remember, James had the reputation both inside and outside the church as being a man who was committed to God and walking faithfully with him. James has experienced this. And he leans in and he says, and I want you to as well. Receive God's word with humility. Let it take root. Let it grow. Let God weed out self and sin so that the spiritual fruit of his word will transform your life so that our Heavenly Father will be able to bless what we do because of how much we look like Jesus. My dear brothers and sisters, may it be so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that as James was led by the Holy Spirit to write these words, that he does it with this tone of desire of encouragement, this tone that says, this is the best you can experience in your walk with the Lord. Father, we humbly acknowledge that in and of ourselves, we cannot generate spiritual fruit. We cannot generate transformation, no matter how hard we try. But we know that the combination of your word and the Holy Spirit and the grace he brings into our lives, you can. And I pray that each one here, Father, who is a part of this special 
church family, Grace Bible Church. We'll desire your word like infants' warm milk that we will consistently place ourselves under it in a way in which we patiently seek understanding. We let it grow and then we let it change us. To the honor and glory of your name, but also, Father, to the joy it will bring our hearts. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. And together again, the family of God says, Amen. Amen.